friends, welcome back to another episode of the Film Alchemist Podcast, the show where we look at movies we love, break them apart, to find out what gives them their magic. (laughs) I wish you guys could have seen that, this wasn't such an audio medium, that was a very fucking strong flutter hand. I am your host and magical fucking savant, Josh Griffey. Joined as always by my very moody and crampy and gothy little girl and co-host, Alex Tandino. I'm sorry, you guys. Really, it is rare that we get off the rails this early. I'm very. You guys really should have seen that. The the hand motions plus the sound effect over Skype were just the greatest things I've ever seen. I, I, the saddest part about it is after doing that for two seconds, I like realized I was holding my breath. I'm actually breathing heavy. Now. <laughs> that might be the most exercise I had today. Oh, my God. That was good. All right, guys. <laughs> this is a new month. We're unveiling our new theme. Before we do, I'd like to ask a favor of you guys. If you can take a second, wherever you're finding this show, if you enjoy spending time with us, which hopefully you do if you're here now, uh, please take a second and leave a rating and review on the directory where you find us. That'll help us a lot if we can get those numbers up and maybe hit a chart, find some new alchemists to throw into the mix. Also, we are on uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, for social media. Your socials. Yeah, our socials. Uh, find us there, guys. Uh, that's a fun place for us to en- uh, engage each other and find these fucking new uh, gym of flicks that we'd like to cover. And also, we have uh, the Film Alchemist Pod, or just filmalchemistpod at gmail.com. You can reach us there as well with your ideas for a theme, uh, movies you'd like us to cover, a list that you think would be fun for us to do for a month, even just a double feature or a one-off. Whatever you guys got, we'd like to hear from you. Uh, cause we like so many movies, uh, it helps us know extra fun stuff if, uh, to cover. If you tell us what you like, man, uh, let's just make this as direct as possible. We don't need middlemen guys. We need your help. So I have to ask that now on to business. Um, this month's theme, the pod unleashes its inner beast. This is a movie all about werewolves and if I can cram one in late, a non-werewolf beast transformation. Uh, the ever-classic The Beast Within. If you know what I'm talking about, it has one of the most memorable transformation scenes ever. Uh, really fucking fun flick. So I'm going to try to cram that in somewhere. But we're busy. Uh, also, we're doing Jordan Peele's Us this month. Yes. Uh, we're going to the theater live for that. So this is a good month. So, we will be covering Neil Marshall's Dog Soldiers, really fucking underrated and amazing flick, let alone werewolf flick. And then the two big dogs, pun intended. American Werewolf in London, maybe the greatest werewolf movie of all time. And The Howling, uh, kind of 70s, late 70s orgy werewolves, which is always fucking cool, man. Uh, orgies plus werewolves equals good time. That's just basic math. I was over, tonight, I was overruled with my werewolf pick, which was Wolf, starring Jack Nicholson. By the way, just want to throw you know, that out. It's hard. There. This this is the thing, man. Because I Shutter has dropped horror noir and the history of horror this month. Right. So I've been watching a ton of documentaries talking about these really fucking great classic. Uh, movie monsters and what they mean and the best versions of them and as they change with the times and that's what I was like. 
I would love to do because history of horror is divided into uh, exorcism, haunted house, zombie, werewolf, vampires. Right. Vampires probably being one of the deeper ones and ghosts. But while werewolves is not as deep, I feel like we could do about 15 movies really easy off the top of my head. Yeah. What is it you think that is so fucking appealing about werewolf movies? Oh, man. I mean, I think it's just uh, it's the it's the beast within, man. That's always really what it is. Like, right. That's really kind of the it's the essence of what the werewolfness is. It's not necessarily it's the curse and the unwillingness to be a part of the curse. Like for like for vampires, a lot of the time vampires love being vampires. That's cool. Where like werewolves the sexy are, vampire movement, yeah. Yeah, there's the sexy vampires. There's never been, like, sexy werewolves. Werewolves are cursed, man. Like, uh, they T-Lout. Hate... T-Lout. Nope. No, that, those are dogs. There's a difference. <laughs> the, but that's They're not like, wolves? Yeah. If I thought team... they were wolves. No, you're Team Jacob, man. I get it. It's fine. Uh, I... <laughs> It, but that's no. the thing. Like it's the I'm curse. team whatever got me out of that theater as fast as possible. <laughs> it, the curse. You want Okay, I, I'll do. You, I'll do a quick Twilight story. Oh, this was God. a blessing and a curse. This is a real thing that happened because my wife would always make us go to like the very first available screening of the Twilight movies. Same. So it'd be me, her, and it looked like a hot topic vomited the rest of the audience in. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, one time she brought she snuck in treats for us. Right. And it was these chocolate covered almonds, but they were sugar free. Oh, great. Because I'm diabetic. I was like, that's so thoughtful. Well, I, I crush them, right? Like, immediately just house this whole fucking container. It was a big fucking container, too. <laughs> About 30 minutes in, it's like... And I was like, what the oh, no. fuck? <laughs> and so I just had to run to the bathrooms of the Arclight Dome and just had the massive sprays. <laughs> like, it was one of those sprays where you're like... Ah! Like you just feel... It was like a Team America vomit kind of situation in there, but out of my anus. And I'm just fucking dying, holding onto the walls. It's like one of those where, like, you're clenching all your muscles and bracing. You're like, ah! And I snuck back into Amy. I was all fucking sweaty. Like, I just run a marathon. I'm like, what happened? And she's like, I don't know. What did you eat? And I was like, the fucking almonds. So I took those when I had to run back to the bathroom. Because <laughs> I had to go, like, I, pretty much the entire – it was, like, the third Twilight movie. I spent the last hour and a half shitting my brains out <laughs> and not watching the movie. And I went to read the instruction. And apparently, if you eat enough of the sugar-free ingredient, it acts as a laxative. Yeah. That's how the Haribos so, work, too, those uh, sugar-free sugar gummy bears. Yes. So Same forever thing. in my mind. Sitting in a theater watching Twilight is connected with violent, hard shits. Oddly enough. Or nothing hard I, about I, it, but still. <laughs> oddly enough, that's not what happened to me when I saw that movie. And I still connect by that movie with violent, hard shits as yeah. being, because it is terrible. Not hard. Hard on the body and soul. But yeah. It came, it came easy as it went, for sure. But yeah. <laughs> sorry, I, think, I digress again. <laughs> I think the curse you know what aspect I think it is, is always what's interesting about werewolves. Like, werewolves are... Right unwilling participants a lot of the time that's what i wanted to piggyback on right because i feel like vampires there are some that play as curses right like nosferatu and this right and right what i like about the werewolf is that the werewolf's one of the only monsters that returns to its normal life yeah right so a vampire always remains a vampire you can have some where they're trying to struggle for their humanity like a lost boy scenario but for the most part when you're a vampire when you're the Gill Man, when you're Frankenstein's monster, when you're a zombie or a fucking ghost, that's it, man. You're stuck in that phase. Werewolves coming back to their normal lives, there's this kind of extra tragedy of, can I just make this work, right? Yeah. Maybe I can hold on 
And hopefully I don't rip my fucking loved one's throats out while I try to fucking right. figure it's, out how to get back to normal. It's so this, that makes the curse extra heavy. Yeah. It's something that's really fascinating about the whole concept of the curse itself is like you you remember too. You remember all the things you did as a wolf. Like a lot of the, like it's this isn't a thing where people a lot of time yeah. like like in the beginnings of these kinds of movies like people don't remember being like turning so to speak but most of the right. time you hear like later on people remember who they were and what they're doing they're just uh a, you know they're just a slave to the beast that's all yeah it's pretty they're, cool but i think that's a cool thing too cuz werewolves are a really good you know kind of receptacle for uh disease transmission drug addiction uh bad temper <laughs> you know right. like everyone feels like we have this fucking deep dark secret inside of us and i don't know why wolves are the form of all the lichens that became so prevalent uh you know over any other animal but i think there's just this kind of ferocity this pack mentality sure sure um but yeah man i've always i've always loved werewolves i think lon cheney's wolfman is probably my favorite of the universal monsters i've always fucking adored that flick yeah i love them i love that one too yeah dude so it's it's a fun like i said when we were debating which one to do i was like i think vampires and ghosts are obviously the deepest with classics i mean vampires i feel like right off the top of your head you could go 30 really good vampire movies pretty easily yeah they're they're probably the deepest to me i think it's also because they have the deepest uh they have the deepest and probably most complex lore like that's the big thing about vampires i think makes them kind of um not to say easy but like easier targets like when we're picking movies like this is that vampires go deep like there's you know, you have your obviously like Dracula. There's million different versions of Dracula, so to speak. Right. And then you have uh, Interview with the Vampire stuff, which is a completely different version of vampirism. Then yes. you have like True Blood, and you have all these other versions of vampire that <laughs> come up. But the Twilight Spray shit of vampire stories, as I refer <laughs> yeah, to. Yeah, you have like fucking Twilight Spray <laughs> shit where people sparkle when they get into the sunlight rather than burst into flames. Blade. Yes. Like, there's all this great vampire lore. Like, I mean, even on television, like um, that show that was on FX based on those books, I, I cannot remember. The Strain. Like, you yeah. can reimagine the vampire. Like, that was almost vampiric zombies. That was a cool one. Yeah, you can kind of just reimagine vampirism in a certain way, but like werewolves are very specific. Werewolves you know what I think the difference is, thing. right? I think you get the better actors playing vampires because vampires get to play the moment of humanity in their uh, acts of murder right. and evil, right? So they can come up from a throat rip and then look at like the... Oh my god, I'd become terrible. Whereas werewolves when a lot of times when you turn into the werewolf part of the movie, then it is just a monster killing things. Right. And you don't get that humanity until the transformation back, right? Yeah. So I think it's it's just two different ways to approach a very similar problem, right? It's another So tonight we're covering right. ginger snaps. Yes. Right? I love a good fucking pun title. And this may be one of the best. It was definitely, it's a fascinating pun title. All right, Alex, had you ever seen Ginger Snaps before tonight? Uh, No, I hadn't actually. What was your first impressions and takeaway from this movie? My first impression and takeaway, because uh, I obviously during the movie, I generally pull up IMDb and do a little research on Wikipedia and so on and so forth. 
The first thing I said was, holy shit, I can't believe this was made by the guy who co-created Orphan Black. But then I thought about it a little more and I was like, I can totally see why this is the guy who co-created Orphan Black. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, Orphan Black, right? It is is many sides of a seemingly the exact same person. I could write an entire dissertation on Mimi Rogers' character as the mom in this movie. Because there's something... You know what? I'm actually going to take a record. I feel like this is the fourth dissertation you've offered. Yes. Right? It is. Because there was the dance scene in Umbrella Academy on our other pod. There's Mm -hmm. this... I feel like you have a lot of homework. There's a lot of homework I need to get done. (laughs) But I can't stop watching these flicks. But I keep finding things in these movies that I think are above and on board amazing. And like Mimi Rogers in her like I would say top total like what 20 minutes of screen time, maybe less, is yeah. nothing She's short the Stepford Hannibal Lecter of this movie. Nothing short of incredible. <laughs> like it's it's something unreal, man. Like there's something very otherworldly and strange about it and I got to get to the like I was so excited to talk about this cuz I have to get to the, like the center I have to get to the center of the Tootsie Pop of what exactly is going on with Mimi Rogers in this movie. Yeah. No, it's so funny, too, because it seems like early on she's just there as, like, an extra in a Will Smith video, right? Like, yeah. parents just don't understand well, y'all, am I right? She's a cameo. And like, that's she, what I thought. Near the end of the movie, she has a real break, uh, which yeah. I think is where we're going to get to, right? But um, I, I thought it was cool. The thing I took away this time, man, is I I love the, the intimacy of this story with these two girls, right? So what... What this movie does for me that I love so much is it kind of plays like a Juno or a ghost world. It's teen melodrama, which I fucking love. But what it does is it takes these two posers, right? These high school posers of we're so hardcore. We don't care about life. We're goth, whatever the fuck. We all have our things we hide behind as kids, right? Right. But I feel like those kids, which I was kind of one of, and I was definitely friends with a lot of them. They feel like they're more real when they're probably the least real of everyone. Right? <laughs> and what I like is that these characters are constantly hiding behind the facade of toughness, not giving a shit. They're sisterly bonds. They're outsiders. Right. And we see slowly that this is unstable foundation, right, for where where they're heading. And I like that the fact that not only the curse of the werewolf, but simple things like I'm a little older and I might hit my period first or that boy was nice to me and I am slightly intrigued, although I'm acting like I'm not right. Normal high school stuff begins to attack these two long before the curse. And I think that fucking intimacy uh, really works well for me in a lot of these scenes. Yeah. I mean, I think that they, it's such a, it's interesting you bring up Juno because I was thinking the whole time and you brought, actually you brought up the one that I was related to immediately, which is Jennifer's body. Like this was, yeah. this is like Definite a precursor. precursor to Jennifer's body. Big time precursor. I bet Diablo Cody fucking loves ginger snaps. I mean, particularly in the like dynamic between the two sisters, that was like, that was very much what I remember Amanda Seyfried and, uh, Fox yeah, because Seyfried is in uh, Jennifer's body, if I remember right. She's a little more of <clears throat> the straight arrow, right? Like a Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah, archetype. she's like the mousy one. In this movie, there's not as much of that, but you can tell that Ginger is definitely the ringleader. Yeah. And uh, her sister B is kind of, uh, you know, really into it as much as it allows her to have a thing with her sister. Yeah, yeah. 
I, I, I was, I mean, for a first time viewer, I'll say it was really worth watching actually, just because it's fun to watch these movies from the early two thousands because they do especially, I mean, this was made in Canada, which is interesting, but also you know, so, I didn't realize I've seen this movie several times. I did not place it in Canada ever. It together. I kind except of, for tonight I was watching and there's one scene when the mom's like chewing out, uh, B. Yeah. And B goes, I'm sorry. And I was like, holy shit, this movie's fucking Canadian. You know what's weird? I actually was, wa- when we were watching, I was watching the movie. I-, I guess I should have been known by uh, their little neighbor kid is like Goldberg from the yeah. Mighty Ducks. See, He's soon always as I just see in kids, his fucking like hockey gear. I see, that's, this is a weird thing. And I don't know if this is like a strange trope of Canadian movies, but as soon as I see kids in mainly hockey gear, I'm like, this movie either takes place in Minnesota or Canada. Those are the only yeah. two places people are like regularly wearing hockey gear. <laughs> like so that's yeah. that's where I was. I'm like I don't think this is Minnesota, it must be Canada. And I think there's also something about the production value, I thought, because there's these big wide uh these wide shots of the city and like I don't know how to describe this, but it's the way that the cities and the um the way that everything's arranged in the city planning makes me think it's yeah. a neighborhood. There, there's a built-in uh, weird defeated vibe. <laughs> <laughs> we have that in the Midwest here as well. <laughs> but see, in the now, Midwest, we all have like, today. This is so funny. I love movies that capture this because you're right. It does. I drove through a city today here in Indiana where I'm just like, guys, this is a bulldoze and restart scenario. <laughs> like this whole thing's got to go. <laughs> you know what's funny? Not to judge, but when, uh, wow. When I was a kid, we this lived. This town has some of that. When I was a kid, we lived in Noblesville in Indiana. And I always think of Noblesville as like, whenever I'm writing, that's like the small town I think of. <laughs> Noblesville's on the come up, dude. It's hip now. They got a hip little downtown area. Oh, no shit. I remember the big yeah, thing there was the come we would up. always go to the jail because that's where John Dillinger escaped. <laughs> Let's go party at the jail in our hockey jerseys. <laughs> Pretend we're Canadians. Uh, <laughs> we're off the rails. Let's get back to the oh movie. Oh, my God. This is a lot. This is very interesting. See, Ginger Snaps is so small and intimate and personal. It is. We have become Ginger and B, and we're just sharing <laughs> our own life stories. No, um, I I love the start of this movie, right? So Yeah. It, I actually had another revelation, too, I'll share in a minute. But I like the start of... The mom raking the leaves. It's this very wholesome scene. The kid playing in the sandbox, and then he finds the bloody paw yeah. in his uh, sandbox, and he's screaming, ah! And we do this cool shot where we go right over the dog corpse. But my favorite thing that tells you a lot about what this movie's going to become <laughs> is the lady holds her kid and goes running out into the street in her front yard. Ah, they got Baxter! And we okay. can tell from uh, B's reaction that they know who Baxter is. Yeah. And she's losing it, holding her kid, ah, just screaming and wailing. And the kids are playing hockey. They're like, oh, game on. They just go yeah, back to play. No shit. one responds at all I, to this This lady screaming about this murder. I have to tell you, <laughs> I the first two notes I had for this movie, particularly because of that opener, was, well, that's a way to start a flick. And this woman, it got Baxter. What is happening? Like, that yeah. is. Well, you're uh, like, she's probably the lady. Right? Like, I live in a neighborhood now where we have a, a neighborhood Facebook page. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. And there's, like, my neighborhood has about 10 of them. But there's that lady who it's, like, is way too into it, way too involved. You're just like, God damn, man. Like, right. come on. And so this lady, I mean, I'm sure these neighbors have had an ass full of hearing about Baxter. <laughs> but I like, because this is when it, 
they do this cool thing too when the garage door opens and it's Ginger. She looks like she's carrying like hedge trimmers, right? And right. Extension cords. There's that brief moment initially where you're like, "Oh fuck, she just did Baxter. Like she just got Baxter, <laughs> and she's going in all nonchalant about it." But yeah, so this is where we where meet the two girls, right? These sisters are the ones we're gonna follow. And I didn't realize this, but I had written this into a script years ago. But I didn't realize I had just stolen it straight from Ginger Snaps. This uh, obsession with weird ways you'll die. I mean, they they stole this routine from Harold and Maude, right? right but I right. thought I was being clever because of the way I had redone it. Right, right. <laughs> Not realizing I had totally just stolen it from fucking Ginger Snaps. <laughs> Somewhere deep in, like, my 14-year-old psyche. I really enjoy how their room is basically one of the dungeon rooms from Buffalo Bill's house, and it's never addressed. <laughs> just ne- just never, like, okay, like, Mimi Rogers has, okay, like, those... Okay, this whole uh, family dynamic in this house I don't is get it. so strange. It's so bizarre. Mimi Rogers has, like, They definitely live those... in a, a fuck dungeon basement. Yeah, they that is their... Like, like, that's where you lock people up for 20 years, and they get out, and it's like, that's how their are these room. people sex slaves for 20 years? It's so weird. <laughs> yeah, that's, like, those, like, three women in a Cleveland... Not to make a bad joke, but, like, that's just, like, those three women in Cleveland room. Like, that's weird. And yeah, then, like... that's not a bad joke. That's a scary place to be, but that's where we just find these two then they go teenage up... girls who have a suicide pact. But then they go upstairs for dinner, and it's, like, Mimi Rogers and her husband, and Mimi Rogers has on, like, the uh, sweater turtleneck combo, and her hair's perfectly yeah. pressed. Like, you... Uh, it's so thrown. Because I was like, oh, I get it. These girls are, like, they're the goths because they live in, like, a trailer park, or they live, like, in basements. And yeah. Know. Like, then you... they Like, it's bizarre. It's such a strange you know, you're thing. you're like, they have a great... Seemingly very involved mom. Right. Dad is kind of an aloof dipshit. Like, even more so than Gabriel Burns and hereditary level dipshit wow. dad. That is impressive. Right? Like, he is the most aloof dad I've maybe ever seen in a movie. He's barely involved at all. But she seems really involved. She seems like a pretty good mom. The house is clean. She's cooking dinner. Wow, that sounded sexist. But you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> she's putting no, in a lot she... of effort, right? To provide a good home, right? Like, Jeez. Me and my wife split those duties, but I'm just saying, like, that shows She's a, a homemaker. level of... That's the character. That's a good quality in yeah, a parent to provide absolutely. meals in a clean house, right? I'm not saying that she had to do all that, and that's what her value is. But um, it is a weird thing, right? But that's another thing I like, is it, it exposes this level of them being fucking posers, right? Because, to me, the goth kids have always been the biggest fucking posers. And right. it hurts me to say that, because I was so in with those kids, right? I was like a little... Morrissey and The Cure when I was younger. I was really down with that whole group. But this whole, like, they're 16 and you're just so like, oh, God, it's already over for me. Uh, uh." And it's like, yeah, that's cool. But if you could actually have just gone out and, like, gotten laid, right? Like, you would be stoked to do that. Or when we scored a little pot, all of a sudden it's like, "Ah, that was a pretty kick-ass day. Life's pretty good. (laughs) I'm like, where's where's the evilness of your soul and your black fingernails now? (laughs) Right, right. They were, uh, yeah, their lives are seemingly ordinary. And I think what, like, it's interesting because, like, the opening the opening credits are the, basically the girls have this, like, thing where they like taking photos of being dead. Like, different ways to die. Yeah. Uh, that's that's something only rich kids could get away with, yeah, by the way. Absolutely. Only- if you did that to parents that are working their asses off and barely getting by and they came home and like, oh, you fucking wish you're dead? I'm over here all fucking day in the fucking 
you know, manual labor yards breaking my back so that you can eat and have clothes and you're pretending you're fucking dead. Yeah. I'll make you dead. There's a or at least that's super, how it would have gone in my house. <laughs> there's a super specific way that you're supposed to do that when you're a kid. And this is like the dream scenario of getting away with it. Because if you said stuff like that, like my parents were like, uh, well, that's your problem. Uh, you're welcome for your house <laughs> and your nice life. I'm like, Oh, that's a good point. All right, cool. I'll go. I'll go. I'll go, I'll go eat my dinner. Yeah. Like, no, but, I. I was a dramatic teenager too. I definitely had to like. Oh yeah. Oh, I just wish it would all end. Oh. Absolutely. But I would never have said that to my father for fear that he would have been like, "Let me help you." <laughs> <laughs> that is that is some fucking rich kid bullshit right there. Hundred percent. The gingers are so much more posers than I had ever remembered. Yeah, they uh, are not the gingers, ginger and B. ginger and B are very. Yeah. And then you go to school and you sort of see I think that's the thing. Like the reveal of them at school is really where you notice the put on because everybody else is seemingly fine. Like everyone's just living their lives. The worst thing that happens is someone keeps killing dogs in the neighborhood, which is pretty terrible. But also I was like, going to say that that would be a big deal. It's a I big deal. Like- but here's the thing. It's a there huge are parts of the play. There's parts of the world where that would be a bigger deal. Right. Than, like. Oh, fucking dickhead Bob with the the really loud car and the country music right. speakers in his garage died. Oh, right. Here's the thing. It's a huge <laughs> deal to the viewer. It seems like everybody in the neighborhood has seemingly just gotten over and like, oh, yeah, another dog died. And you're like, well, definitely they didn't give a fuck that Baxter died. No one gave a shit that Baxter died. <laughs> but then even the dog that was... uh. The dog, the dog that uh, the uh, that mean girl pushed B into. <laughs> yeah, I like the theory too that they had just been playing field hockey for like thirty minutes. And oh, and no one found the dog. That was the weirdest thing. The There's one just team a was so dominant they had yet to go on defense. They yeah. didn't realize how shitty is field hockey practice that one ca- one team seems to just be rocking it. Like, but I actually I like this as world building too because I was like, how fucking shitty is life in this town? <laughs> they have those three like American Pie archetype kids. But right. the Canadian versions that are like, oh, yeah, shake it, bend over. And you're like, all these girls are wearing gigantic hoodies and sweatpants. <laughs> like, what are you watching? Like, one kid mentioned something jiggling. And I'm like, you can't see anything when people are dressed in, like, warm clothes. <laughs> I was like, what a sad, sad state of affairs this Canadian town oh, yeah. experience. That was the best. The two dudes oogling and they're like, look at Ginger. <laughs> look at her Look at her boobs. I'm like, she's wearing a sweater, guy. So I'm like, come on. Oh, B. <laughs> Like that was that was like the most desperate. Like it's cold out. What do we do? We can't just yeah. like freeze these children to death. Uh, just have her open her sweater a little bit. Okay, cool. Yeah, I mean to be fair, I'm looking back from like old age, right, or older age, and judging. I might have been that kid in high school. Who fucking knows? But it struck me as like, wow, they are really building up the sadness of this fucking <laughs> town. Also, like everywhere you go, where there's an innocent kid, yeah. There's a dead dog corpse in like the first 30 minutes. Right? Hardcore so the, dead dog. The corpse. late night playground, the field hockey field, the sandbox with the little boy. That poor, that poor fat, that poor fat kid everywhere. hockey player's yard. Like as soon as I saw that fat hockey player kid playing with his dog, I'm like, that dog's going to be dead by the end of the movie. Yeah. You're like, oh, there's Goldberg just trying to fucking <laughs> lose weight and better his life. And he has a little friend. You're like, that's the start of a Spielberg movie. Better fucking murder Norman. <laughs> So why do all these people's dogs have like stupid white people names? Yeah, seriously. Fucking Baxter and Baxter Norman. and Norman. <laughs> it's like they're, yeah. the dogs were named it's like, in nineteen. 19- are your pets accountants? Yeah. Are your pets middle aged accountants? All the dogs were named in nineteen fifty six by the Mad Men, and that was it. <laughs> like that was that that was their lives. 
Oh my god. You know what's funny? We haven't even talked about the plot of this movie yet. Like <laughs> we're so obsessed with like what's amazing because this is really the cool thing too, is like the world building like required. Intimacy and the little setting we're in, right? I, I like the indie vibe of this. The movie world building me. that is required for this movie is fascinating and be it, it adds such a richness to a movie that is I mean, look, I'm not saying it's Shakespeare, but like it does such a good job of like taking the wait, little Wait, wait, do you want to go on record? What? Is this Shakespeare adjacent? Go on record. You might be the only one. <laughs> I'm not. I'm saying it's not Shakespeare. You know what? Mark me down. Shakespeare adjacent. Oh, yeah? I'm going to put this between the Tempest and Macbeth. <laughs> right there. Tempest, Macbeth, Ginger Snaps. Yeah. I'm not going to be so specific as to label those three, but those are the three. Pick your heart. <laughs> no, um, so yeah, essentially the two gingers are it's or no, the two gingers, right? Ginger and B ginger are Ginger and school. B. They go out at night because this girl's been bullying B, right? And she got shoved into a carcass. So of course, as revenge, they're gonna go get this uh high school bully bitch's dog and murder her dog and take horrific pictures of it. That's their revenge. I'm yeah. like, that's very normal. That's very normal. Yeah, not these, by the way, these girls were revenge. like definitely serial killers before all this shit went down. See, this is where because this is the moment where I don't know if they're going to go through with it, right? Or if this is just them fucking making each other feel better. Because I'm like, if they're willing to pull this trigger, they're not posers. They're actually a real danger to society. <laughs> but I feel like the gingers are just putting on, right? Right. As the movie goes on, not so much. They are forced into these you know, exceptional situations over and over. So while they're on their way, they're they're walking through a children's park. They find another carcass that's still warm, right? And Ginger gets pulled into the fucking woods. Now, this is actually an interesting part, right? Because this is kind of your standard werewolf attack. They fight it off. They escape, and the werewolf gets obliterated by a van. So they're <laughs> now, telling us early by the that way, this is sorry. not going to be normal werewolf rules. I want to emphasize, too, obliterated, like dismantled. That werewolf was destroyed. By the van. Right, but this comes directly after when they're bending down and B says to Ginger, she's like, you got some blood on your pants. And she's just like, oh, no, I'm a woman now. Oh, yeah. that this And is that is the direct precursor moment to her being captured. Now, this is the thing. I like that in this movie, the werewolf symbolism is doing a lot of work. They're, they're mixing metaphors oh, and symbolism yeah. a lot. But I like the fact that they're not trying to be that subtle about it, right? It's a big because I was thinking movie. about this too. Like you don't see a lot of these movies where one there's this kind of embrace of the female struggle and female sexuality, right? This coming to terms. There's that great moment where Ginger's on the bed and she's just been had, right? Yeah. She has that beautiful fucking line where she's like, "I thought all I wanted was sex, but all I wanted to do was tear everything apart." And you know, her sister's just like, "Well." Tell his friends, you know, embarrass him with a sex story. And she's like, that's not how it works, right? You're either the hero or you're the lay, and I'm just another lay. And I'm like, man, so fucking sad. And a lot of this trajectory is, right, she's she's having this moment of becoming a woman, shedding these kind of childhood fantasies of this suicide pact. Like, it's a terrible childhood fantasy, but all that. Right. As she's losing that and becoming a woman, she's pulling further from her sister. She's engaging in sex uh, and drugs unprotected sex there's a lot of these the, the werewolf becomes this catch-all for a really fucking scary time in people's lives yeah and i think it, it works exceptionally well 
when it is a lady, as women are so much more often victimized uh, by men in these kind of periods, right? Right. So I, I like that they're right up front, like, this is not going to be very subtle fare. Like, this will be blunt force trauma. Yeah. You know, a visual story. You know what else, too, is like, it but doesn't. It it, yeah, it's really. It's pretty not distracting, to be honest with you. Like, there's nothing no, not about it that. Like, there's nothing about it that I like. It doesn't make me roll my eyes the way I've seen, like, other direct metaphors do. But this is the thing, right? Would it make you more mad as a viewer, Alex Dandino? If they thought they were like outsmarting you, right? Oh yeah, like, absolutely. Oh, we're an indie, so we'll art it up and make I think it that, so convoluted. Or they're just like, "This is what the movie is. Sit back and enjoy it." Yeah, I think it's a very specific choice to like meld those two things and decide to yeah. put them in at the same time because it's it's not like it's not dumbing it down for the audience, which is it's weird to think that. But like this direct metaphor, they know they're not being clever. They're like, "This is obvious." So why don't we just play with it and make it work? And yeah. they do a really good job of that because then, <laughs> yeah, those two things melding together into one like terrifying experience because look, everybody goes through puberty and it sucks. And I don't claim to know what women go through when they go through puberty, but I'm assuming it also sucks. So, you know, well, they also have to be around fucking pubescent. Yeah, they have to be around a boys, bunch of so that fucking, has to make it work. Yeah, they have to be around, <laughs> around a bunch of fucking like 13 to 15 year old us's, which sucks. So, yeah, no, I, I, I'm with you. I like that they get it out of the way up front. I like that they let the the werewolf become the cat. Like, there's nothing more frustrating than I remember reading an interview with the director of It Follows, and he was like, I don't know why everyone keeps saying it's about STDs. And it's like, get the fuck, fuck out of here. Like, if you can't fucking see that, like, shame on you. Come on. Yeah. Quit. I feel like some people, there is this thing that happens in film community sometimes where if it feels like it's easy enough for everyone to get it, if you're like, oh, I, that's too dumb. I can't accept that. There's better ways to do it. I don't know that there's a better Which way to bullshit, do this, by man. The way. Like, that's not. Yeah, you that's don't a false always have to hide everything, you know, that you're trying to say, man. Not, not everything that, has to that's be that's steeped like. in metaphor. Right. Because what I like is that once we get this out of the way, you're like, this will be a werewolf movie. And here's the very obvious werewolf analogy that we're doing. But then it plays differently after that. What I like about this is the werewolf curse becomes more a fear of anything invading your own body. Oh, yeah. Right? So whether it is drugs, I think the choice of the, the cure being delivered by syringe, a lot of phallic symbolisms, right? <laughs> um, there is this constant invasion of the sovereignty of your own body, this yeah. no control over your own body that forces outside right. of you are constantly dictating it's, uh, the terms of your body. Man. I think by taking it's, it's a beautiful thing. I think by taking the route of the direct metaphor with, you know, puberty and puberty and this whole thing about becoming a vampire, like what you're doing is you're addressing a deeper issue, which is werewolf becoming a werewolf lycanthropy, like lycanthropy, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. But like you're, what you're doing is you're <laughs> skipping over the obvious thing and you're making it about something much deeper, which is um, what all great werewolf movies are about, which is the fear of the fear of yourself being out of control. Yes. And that's really kind of what makes a great werewolf movie a great werewolf movie is that kind of thing. So yeah, the the loss of control. But what I like too is they're not like, oh well, this is obviously about puberty, so we need to shy away from these other things. Like no, fuck it, it's puberty. And it's peer pressure, and it's fucking sex. 
Um, you know, it's shitty parents. It's all this stuff, right? Like, yeah, they, they're just like, we'll let it all. The werewolf just becomes the, uh, you know, she is moving more towards this scary version of herself that she doesn't know yet. She doesn't want to know yet. And she's being dragged there against her will. And I think that's what puberty feels like. Absolutely. Even, but again, all of no, that. No, age, that's, that's exactly what, what it feels like. And what I love, right, is, again, it's it's just very simple of, guys, this is the movie. This is the journey. But then what I like is there was a time when you're watching this movie for the first time where you honestly begin to wonder if you're even going to see a werewolf. Like, there's a long stretch after that first werewolf attack where you're like, you you begin to wonder, was this some kind of like, was this in their imagination because um, as she's not transforming right away, it's this very slow progression, right? Right. Like maybe a little fingernails, maybe a little spine and teeth. Then you start seeing a tail and shit, and you're like, oh, right. This is like a full transformation. But even until maybe the last 20 minutes, she's not fully werewolfed out. No. Um, as far as movie werewolves go, Ginger retains her own body. For a really long time after the curse sets in, which yeah. I think I, is the exact right choice for this kind of story. I agree. I actually liked that was something I noted that I liked a lot was that this whole thing plays out more like an infection than it does like just yes. a curse that you magically wake up and you're a werewolf. Like I like that it's this slow moving progression because that's what it feels like a lot of the time when you're changing and when things are happening to your body that you really can't control or do anything about. Yeah. And also it gives Ginger a chance to have that vampiric performance. Yeah. Where she gets to actually be fully. Exactly. Somewhat in her human mind when she commits her atrocities, right? Like, you see her dealing with that, like, I fucking killed the dogs. Right. Right? Like, oh, I attacked the boy. Like, when she curses her, uh, you know, the boy that she hooks up with the first time. Yeah, right? yeah. And his. That's another interesting choice they made, too, is watching him, his descent into the curse, right? Which is essentially just acne and, like, a raging hard on. <laughs> yeah. Right? Because he's even like, I fucking killed my dog, man. Like, when he gets B in the closet. This I love really that fucking guy. Tense That's moment, a great moment, right? yeah. And then the la next time we see him, he's actually threatening to murder a kid who's, like, in a Halloween costume of one of the Dalmatians. <laughs> yeah, you're like, yeah. oh, Jesus, what's he going to do to that fucking kid if she did it? Also, <laughs> by the way, where's that kid's parent? Like, they're in the middle of a field. Like, just. Yeah. It's, like, behind these, like, this, like, row of shrubbery behind, the, like, a row of houses. <laughs> I'm like, no one else saw this? We're also, like, as a group of parents who live there, right, you should be like. Oh, that looks like the set of one of those after school specials. Perhaps <laughs> we should watch that area more closely. Right, right. But yeah, I I like the fact that it's not an immediate drastic change into fucking giant. I love a werewolf transformation as much as the next person. I do feel like many werewolf movies suffer when we're just werewolfing, right? Oh, yeah. It's like what they talk about, you know, a lot in like comic book circles with the Hulk, right? Is that the Hulk is only so interesting when he's the Hulk, right? It's punch and fight and whatever. Right. And that Banner is where you get the meat. And so I think the ability for Ginger to remain uh, this kind of island amidst the fucking turmoils of her, you know, changing life is a really good rooting that a lot of werewolf movies lose. Because 
even this movie, by the very last scene when she flies out of the van as a full dog, at that point, it felt a little bit like, oh, we just got to get this out of the way, right? Like, we're just doing this because it's a werewolf movie, and I wasn't as engaged. Now, they end with a really fucking beautiful moment that I'm very interested to get to. But, yeah, I mean, to me, that's the thing that Ginger Snap separates itself. Is I, I like the the beast being mostly her. Yeah. I I like that we get that. You're right. I mean, that's what Ginger Snaps does is it takes that vampire formula and does it that way with werewolves. It works very well. It's a great effect. I love that ending beat, which we can talk about later, but I, I fully agree. But I, I, I like that. This no, movie, fuck it. Let's do it now. Ending. I this The ending of that movie is just so... That last shot might be one of my favorite, like, ending shots of a movie and that's like that's a fucking low budget it's a low budget indie horror movie and it has one of the finest like you know it's weird like the lighting scheme and that almost reminded me of a dark song in a way like there's there's things in that moment that i see that remind me of that kind of thing it's a fascinating movie man well it's funny because to me it almost it almost struck like this kind of renaissance painting look right like the way they do the shot where she's resting on top of her werewolf sister's corpse yeah and then it kind of cuts to this this wider shot, right? Where there's a lot of the weird sex dungeon bedroom above them. Mm-hmm. Um, but this this moment, I actually had two things I wanted to ask you. Because I really like she's in the room. She's trapped. She's escaping her sister. She looks at the, oh, remember the good times when we just pretended yeah. to kill each other and plan suicide? Like, those were the days. <laughs> and um, so the end, right? Her sister jumps on her because they had this cool moment. Which is actually one of uh, this. This ending actually does have some good stuff, right? It's once it gets past the like kind of jump scare thing. The moment when she's on one side of the drug dealer uh, douche, right? Sean from Boy Meets World, essentially. <laughs> she's on one side of him, and her werewolf sister fully transforms on the other side, and they're both drinking the blood. But she gags, and she's like, "I can't, I won't." And then her sister fucking lashes out at her, right? Like she kills Sean, and then runs out. I thought that was a cool moment, right? This She has that because she's been infected, right? They cut the hands and put them together. Uh, B's going to be a werewolf now too. And there's this cool moment of like, will they be a pack, right? Because her sister talked about, we had a pack, dead by 16 or alive at 70 together. There's a lot of that don't leave me behind with these two. And that moment was really fucking cool. It's just, it's just one of those great horror movie shots of these two girls trying to find like, the humanity of their bond over a dead body. Right, right. <laughs> right? So the sister lashes out and lands on a knife. Now, this is the part that I thought was interesting. I'd like your opinion on. At the end, she's sitting there with the syringe. Right. I didn't know what she was going to do with that. We don't see her take it. My first thought was that she was going to inject her sister so her sister could die in her human form, right? The form that she wished uh that her sister still existed in but when she didn't do that the immediate question is she's infected now does b take the uh cure you know i I, after the movie ends you know i was gonna ask you the exact same thing because i i was really wanting to understand what that moment was because while i like that ending shot i'm like what is she going to do? Like, is she, I thought her thinking might've been like, if I inject her with this, she'll revert to human form. But like, you know, because a lot of the time in these kinds of movies, particularly you can, 
uh, you know, people like when you're injured as when you're injured as a werewolf. A lot of the time, when you revert to human form, your injuries are gone, like that kind of thing. Yeah, like, this superhuman strength in a way. So, and they show the werewolves heal super fast in this flick. Right, exactly. So, so my it thought felt was, like there was going to be a last second save. Right, right? <laughs> I was wondering like, is she going to like stab her with the syringe and she'll come return into a human form and she'll survive and they'll live to seventy together. So I thought that maybe that was the case, but I think that maybe she just, I mean, I don't know. Like, that's the kind of crazy thing. I, I was wondering if we were going to get like a, um, I wonder if she was going to ice herself personally. I thought she was going to maybe going to take the knife out and stab herself so they could die together at 16. But I, yeah, I, I just don't know. What this, what this does for me that I think is so cool is it, it reinforces the idea of, the the werewolf curse becoming this transition into um the kind of this this rough and immediate transition into womanhood right from childhood so looking at their old like oh so cool when we were like pretending to be impaled on a fence and shit right right, right. that's the death of the childhood fantasy the life as it was mm-hmm. and i think it's extra interesting too to imagine this based on what her mom had just told her right right so at the party the mom picks her up and drives her. She knows the fingers in the fridge were real. Right. Right? That they're the girls that's missing. She knows they're real. Mm. She lies to the dad, but she knows. Yeah. And she kind of tells, or not kind of, she tells B, she's like, hey, we'll get your sister. I'll turn the gas on and I'll light a match and we'll burn the fucking house down. Yeah. And she's like, well, what about dad? She's like, yeah, fuck him. They'll blame me. They'll, they, No matter what, I'll be the one yeah. to blame. And so there is this, this kind of path that, formed in my mind right Uh, because there's a moment when i was wondering is the mom going to also be in on this right is she a werewolf herself somehow right i thought that too maybe something like that right like she's kind of hipper on this than we're led to believe right right but at the end she's not and what she feels like is this this neutered non-feral version of a woman right that this kind of hopelessness of you know because as we're watching ginger come to and she's preying on all these men characters you know and women but men too there there is this bit of her mom that feels so helpless and unable to affect a change right that she's willing to literally burn down and blow up her house (laughs) and her husband because she's just no matter what this is gonna fuck me up and so with that in mind weighing heavily on b's mind i don't know the choice and I'm not sure that B doesn't just let herself go. Like, just run out and be wild, right? And take her chances as long as she can. In my mind, that seems like that's the option I think she would take, right? Like, what I don't think is that she would take the injection, have a meaningful relationship with her mom, and be like, I am a woman now. It's time to move on with life. Right. Um it feels like she's lost too much and seen too much to end up growing up to be in a position where her mom is that feels so helpless. Uh, yeah, I think that she probably, I, I don't Mimi Rogers whole thing is just so fascinating. Cause that's such a, like a one eighty turn and you're curious the entire time. Cause she does like yeah. come off as this Stepford wife. And, and I mean, I guess Stepford wife's not the right way, but like, you know what I mean? It's the sort of like, Automaton. Right, she's like the traditional, like, oh look, I'm well dressed. She's and, written, you know, I'm good looking, and I'm a mom. She's and I do written in this right. really specific way throughout the entire movie, which is that she's like 
The, she's the anti-Spielberg mom, right? There's yeah. no troubles or problems she's in her She's the world. mom <laughs> who looks like she's got it all. She wants to like she wants to help her daughters. She wants to be their friend kind of, like that kind of thing. She has she's the mother of young teenagers, so she wants to like be involved. And she's dug deep and she wants to be involved and now and then like you get to that scene where she's talking to B and it's this total 180 and you realize like she's far smarter than she's led to, than you're led to believe the entire movie. Even yeah, even if yeah. she's not fully informed, what's fascinating to me about Mimi Rogers doing this bit is that, I mean, really, kind of like that's that that line where she says like I'll get blamed for it, I'll, like that uh-huh. is the kind of thing where I'm like, there is some serious social commentary going on here that no yep. one's picking up on, like, and it comes like that, and you're like, all right, right, it's well, just the very act of her not being more shocked than she is, yes. Tells you for sure that she's hip and seen some shit. She is definitely so seen some shit. to your point, right, It's is it just social commentary of, like, as a woman, she's so used to being on the guard from these kind of outside predators? Totally. Or is it just in this moment she's having a slip because uh, she's worried about how her two daughters will make her look, right? That, again, she's going through her own experience of something from the outside is controlling her within right that oh man now i'll be the mom of the this crazy murder serial killer girl my life's fucked anyways um so either way you look at it i think that works really well it's a great it's a great turn in the middle of the third act that's like kind of like going towards the inevitable inevitable conclusion of one of these kinds of movies but it's just great you know oh wait time out okay that's another interesting question we just kind of glossed over and you were really latched onto this what happens to her when this movie's over? We leave her at that party. She's walking in and she's like, ew, sweaty teenage boy. Yeah. And that might be the last shot we see of her. I think it is. So, I mean, like, my thought is she comes... I mean, to me, I imagine that this is like... I feel like like Mimi Rogers' whole look is the facade. Like, the whole vibe of her is like, I can play this part, but I've obviously seen some shit. And I know what happens and I know how this goes. Like, I don't think it's a matter of like, oh, well, I'll get blamed because, you know, I'm the mother of crazy teenagers. It's I'll get blamed because I've seen this kind of thing happen before. That's what I think the layer that they're working on is. So to me, what happens, she comes home, finds her daughter with her other dead werewolf daughter. She and I mean, you know, she very well might be like there's a fucking ending of that movie in there where maybe she fucking ices them both. Who knows, man? Like. That's the kind of thing I think about, though. And I Does think she just fucking dip straight up, You're like fuck all. <laughs> I mean, she very well might have. Like that's a very that's a very plausible thing because of clearly she's gone through something that we don't know about. We find out about it in the middle of a really crucial third act, which is fine. But there's something so awesome and hidden about Mimi Rogers' performance that, like, I still am thinking about it. Like it lingers with you because it's such a bizarre thing coming from this character that we've been to this point thought to this point been told is very one dimensional. Like she's just like this right. prototype mother right. for me, these kinds of movies. And then you realize yeah. there's something completely different about her that we were never aware of, which begs the question, like what, what's the, yeah, deal? well they take this character. We seemingly have a grasp on rip the Tupperware lid off. Yeah. And the only purpose she seems to serve in that third act is I'll pick you up because she doesn't they don't even get to like the covering up evidence like that doesn't even seemingly matter. Right. They she picks up her daughter and essentially is like, hey, I know what's up. 
And I'm willing to destroy our whole lives to make this go away. And then we pretty much don't see her again. And it's like she can't be there just to be the driver to the party, right? Right. right. And you're like, I mean, just having her say, like, I'm willing to burn the house down with my husband in it because of what you and your sister did is a fascinating moment. And maybe that's all they wanted to do is just leave you with, you know, even adults are still dealing with their own curses, right? Right. It gives you this sense that maybe everyone who's gone through puberty is kind of a cursed and tortured soul, which, you know, I'm an adult. That's kind of true, I guess. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, it, it is one of those really just big, big reveals that you're like, oh, damn, this is great. Yeah. And then kind of just fucking fades away. super fat. Not kind of. Again, I keep saying kind of. There's not a lot of kind ofs with this movie. No. It's very upfront. But it just disappears, it disappears. And I wasn't fully aware of why. Yeah, it disappears, and I want to know more. Like, I need to know more. And it's bothering yeah. me that I don't know more. But see, I think that's awesome that a movie, especially one like this, that people don't expect a lot from, right? If you're a kind of low-budget horror movie, werewolf movie, people know what the fuck they think they're getting. But this movie leaves you with several pretty big fucking questions at the end. You know? Like, what happens? Does she take the cure? Uh, does the mom stay or go? What does super aloof dad do? <laughs> you know, like, I really want to know the answer to these things. Right. Um, you know, why do these white people keep giving their dogs white man names? I don't know. But yeah, I do, the movie serves all the really fun kind of horror movie moments. Yeah. Like, when the counselor gets fucking shredded, the dogs are shredded. Um. You know, her trying to cut her own tail off is such a fucking gnarly scene. Great scene. Like, so fucking gross. There's a lot of great playing with what makes this genre conventional. And then also showing you a little bit extra, like showing you stuff that is not typical of this kind of movie is what makes it so interesting. It makes it worth watching because you have to ingest it as a different kind of thing. It's not just this like. It's not just a horror comedy and it's not just a werewolf movie. It's really kind of this, I mean, I guess sort of this amalgamation almost of metaphor uh, for growing up. Yeah. No, it, but that's what I like about it, right? Is like a great example of what I love about this movie is the cutting the tail scene up. So we're getting this cool kind of body horror. We're on the path to werewolf. So we, a lot of people get ripped up, gutted, whatever. Uh, you get a werewolf being splattered by a van. The counselor's <laughs> dead. The janitor gets it. He gets a fucking heart rip. Right. Like, all that shit's there. You get the big white werewolf at the end. Ooh, remind me to get to that. The white werewolf transformation. But what I like about that tail cutting scene, right? This is a girl who is so afraid of the changes happening to her. She's trying to actually maim herself. And something attached to her, a, a part of her being that she thinks should not be the way it is. Right. Right. So while it is this body horror, there's a lot underneath that when you put yourself in Ginger's mindset and then for her sister to run in and stop her. And they kind of stop on this this over above head God shot. Right. Of just the two of them hugging and crying. And I feel like a lot of the violence and the werewolf violence throughout the movie ends with the sister pleading for her to stop and then an, an embrace. Right. Like this real fucking loving embrace. As Ginger's so afraid of what's happening to her and B knows she can't do much to stop it, uh, but still wants to try. They love each other. And so that kind of awesome like effect and body horror and werewolf shit, but with this 
these very serious and relatable uh, turmoil mindsets and actual human love adds a lot. Because, again, an indie horror movie like this, it would be so easy to be like, let's just really double up on the fucking slash prosthetics and buckets right, right. of blood. And I feel like they get a lot of run out of that, but it's the other stuff that makes Ginger Snaps much more memorable. Right. Um. But, yeah, I was going to ask you. This is kind of a funny thing I keyed in on. Is Ginger starts to transform, right? She goes from being this kind of attractive young lady to more and more hideous, right? Because when, when she goes to seduce uh, the drug dealer kid, right? Now her hair is all white. Yeah. Her forehead has changed, but she's mostly still humanoid. Yeah. And when she opens up her shirt, it looks like she's getting like extra teeth. She's got teeth. Forming. Yeah. Yeah. Like very dog-like, right? And then at the end, she looks hideous. Like, this werewolf is kind of a hideous, almost like albino rat yeah, werewolf. Yeah. And so I was like... I loved it. It struck me as they're like, is her journey into womanhood making her less desirable and gross? Like, what are you trying to say Oh, here? that's an interesting thing they're doing. There's, okay. there's no, like, embracing it as, oh, this is just a woman embracing, like, her natural instincts inside. And granted, what she's doing is horrific and bad, but... It felt like this weird moment where I kind of paused where I'm like, I think visually they could have done that a little better. Right? Yeah. Like they seem to be visually indicting Ginger for going through this involuntary change. I mean, it's a fascinating, that's an interesting way to look at it. I mean, why not? Like that's, that would make sense. It plays well. I mean, I get it. Like that, yeah, I wouldn't say. I wouldn't call it an indictment. I'd say like everybody feels gross when they're going through that kind of thing. So like, right. But I feel like in a way it would be smarter to make the werewolf look maybe even a little bit majestic. Nah. Not like a, Oh, we should all be murderous werewolves, but not like a fucking scary ass albino, like a naked mole rat. Right. Like it feels a lot like they're like, see, look, she, she was just embracing her natural beauty. Cause what we see from her when she murders the janitor, is she, she has that great moment where she's walking up to be. Yeah, yeah. Right? And, like, she, the first time she embraces the werewolf period, she has this kind of strut. Right? She's walking through school in this blue dress, and everyone's talking about her. It's kind of the opposite of what happens to the boy when he just gets acne and tries to murder children. <laughs> right. Right? She seems to be embracing it a little. Yeah, right? Yeah. And that's the story that I feel like they're telling. And then is by the end, it's like, oh, here's this giant, disgusting Quasimodo werewolf. Uh, don't embrace your natural journey. <laughs> I, but no, uh, actually, okay, maybe I'll take this back because that is something I keyed in on too. This werewolf transformation is not actually keyed on the full moon at all. No. But it feels like she's transforming at the rate of how frequently she gives up a piece of herself. Yeah, I think that... Right, so every time she loses some of her humanity, she devolves a little more. So I guess maybe... Okay, I'll take back my criticism. <laughs> yeah, I think what she does is she gives... She should look disgusting, right? Yeah, it's she's giving in to the animal. That's the idea. That's what's furthering the transformation. If she could resist the urge, maybe she wouldn't be uh, such a dick. That still feels very... It feels like the kind of nonsense that like my wife talks about that women have always had to deal with that we don't. Well, maybe that's what it's about. Maybe that's it. It's I mean, that's well. the thing. I feel like there are probably a woman's intuition on this movie would garner much more than us yeah. but i just think it's 
it's a fascinating indie because I think it functions really well as a horror movie. I love the fucking idea of letting the girls be the monster without covering them in fur right away. Yeah. Um, I love the werewolf becoming a catch-all for so many things for that. You know, instead of like one thing, whether it's drugs or sex or whatever, penetration, period, it just becomes this scary loss of control for your childhood and your child body. Um, So, yeah, I, I think it gives you all the good horror movie moments you want, but there's a lot of extra depth in this one that i i don't think you expect going in no and it did the other important thing that all horror movies must do which it spawns sequels so uh fuck load of sequels yeah only two (laughs) is it two i thought there were five for some reason there's ginger snaps two unleashed and then ginger ginger snaps back the beginning which is set during uh uh i think the 1600s no shit. Yeah. You know what's funny? I've definitely seen all of those movies. And I think, like, gun to my head, I could not tell you one thing that happened in the two sequels. Really? <laughs> Granted, I, I was drinking and smoking a lot back then. But, because that's what I used to do. I'd go to family video on a Friday night, and I'd be like, I will rent every Hellraiser movie and watch them over a weekend. Yeah. So I would just crush any series that I could find. Ginger. Um, so I definitely had done Ginger Snaps before. I don't know why. I cannot... I have no recall of what happens in the sequel. Ginger and snaps I did think back. there were like five or six of them. Ginger Snaps Back the Beginning <laughs> is set in 19th century Canada. So I mean, that was a happening time. There's probably tons of background for that. I mean, it's it's a prequel. It's hard to pass up a good prequel, you know, especially for something yeah, right. like Ginger Snaps. Every scene in the background is just some Leonardo type, Leonardo DiCaprio type fist fighting a bear. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. I was actually reading the... <laughs> So I do want to watch the the beginning, and I watched. Uh, I was reading through some of the factoids, and I realize now that you brought up the way that because I never thought about it, and the way that um, Catherine Isabel's um, or the way Ginger looks as a werewolf in the one in the beginning uh, in the Ginger snaps back at the beginning. They talk about the fort that they're all living at in 19th century Canada being besieged by Wendigos, which. If you know uh, some of your lore, uh, nice. that explains like it. kind of albino-y werewolves. So maybe that's what it is. It's yeah. a Wendigo. See, I always think of Wendigo's more Sasquatchy shape. That could be Marvel. I have that because I think that's because of Marvel, personally. But yeah. that also, could, I could be wrong. I don't know. Well, because like, I have a D&D figure that's a Wendigo that actually is like, it looks like a fucking hodgepodge monster. Right. So it has like a disgusting like drug addict deer head. With, like, a fucking gross white human body and then, like, giant vampire claw. It's very strange. Right, right. But, yeah. Uh, I don't know, man. I just I think this movie has all of the charm of kind of an indie teen melodrama with all those awesome uh, horror movie moments and kind of big. I think horror is such a great place for theme, right? Like, like the the monsters and the, the terrifying stakes of a horror movie let you really fucking hammer down on great theme work oh yeah and i think this movie is a really good mixture of that man 100 percent. i would recommend this movie to anybody who enjoys a good teen horror film yeah alchemist that's it for ginger snaps hit us up what happened to the mom did b cure herself or did she uh succumb to her fucking wild nature let us know what you thought guys if you have a friend you think would like this movie, sit down and watch it with them. Don't share communal needles and all the other stuff these crazy kids are getting <laughs> up to. 
Yeah, if your landscaper also sells drugs out of his vans, don't do that, guys. Yeah, that's bad. Yeah, the cherry chasing a landscaper, as he's called. Uh, sit down and watch it with your friends. Please share the show with them, guys. Personal connections like that will help bring us more listeners, and that's what this is all about. <laughs> I don't know why that was evil, but go for it. Yeah, I was trying to unveil my inner nature, right, as a – a numbers grubber. Mad respect. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so that's it, guys. Thank you for all your work. Again, please rate, review, follow us on your socials. Hit us up with werewolf movies you like, other movies you like of all uh, kinds that you'd like to see covered on the show. Themes, double features, whatever. We want to hear it. Um, and as always, man, thanks for spending time with us. We do appreciate it. I definitely do. I don't know about Griffey, but I definitely appreciate it. I at least 42% do. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, that's it from us. Uh, I'm Josh Griffey. I'm Alex Sandino. <laughs>